0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
5: warm the Welcome to the lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Houston Family Podcast and got a tremendous podcast for you as Chris Chian. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. Does a great job over there at Monumental Sports They've got a great network out there in Washington, D.C., and he hosts the show by the book, which you're able to hear Monday through Friday. They break down everything from what we're seeing in the MLB to the NBA, NHL playoffs, PGA week in and week out. Chris is incredible at being able to take a look at a little bit of everything, and we're going to dive into the team in his area, the Washington Nationals, what has all been going wrong with them. And we're also going to be taking a look at everything else that we've got on the board with regards to this Saturday slate and going to be asking him a little bit about some of the teams that have surprised him both in a good and a bad way. So we're going to get Chris's thoughts on a wide variety of things in the second segment. Going to have a fun chat there. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Saturday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast if you have got one or two ways we fire those in first one is my twitter timeline at gunit underscore 81 keep in mind letter C M maybe it does not matter so as per usual please send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated from there you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review Got one question today with regards to how much of an advantage home field is, and I do think that it is something that always needs to be factored in with regards to handicap. You guys hear my breakdowns day in and day out, and there's a big reason why I do wind up including home and road splits, because there are some pitchers that they just cannot pitch on the road, and hey, sometimes you do wind up having a few guys that they're terrible at home as opposed to on the road. Nick Pavetta has been significantly better with the Boston Red Sox on the road than at home, but... Oftentimes, you will find home pitchers be a little bit better at home just because the ballpark dimensions do wind up favoring them. If you have a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher, you'd probably want to have them more in like a city like Minnesota out there on the West Coast where you have a lot of night games and the ball sort of dies in the air rather than at Yankee Stadium where there is a short porch. And thus far this season, I haven't necessarily seen demonstrative home and road splits, Home teams, straight up 346 and 325, but it does make a little bit of a difference. You've got to be factoring it into your handicap. It's nothing like college basketball, for instance, where home court advantage in college basketball is massive. effect. I think we're seeing it in the NHL where you do wind up having quite a few teams who are a little bit better with regards to their home and road splits it hasn't necessarily bared out with regards to the NBA in terms of the Celtics versus Heat series, but typically in the NBA as well. So I would say that with regards to sports in general, the MLB, you probably have a little bit less with regards to home field advantage compared to most sports, but it is something that should be factored in. And I think that it's bigger with regards to totals and the pitchers that are out there as well, because you can tell that there are just some guys that are much more comfortable on their home field. So hopefully that answers your questions. Always appreciate being able to answer them and Let's take a look back at everything that we did wind up getting on Friday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. We saw quite a few blown leads on Friday and the Oakland A's blew one. We're going to get to a team that actually blew a worse lead in a minute. But Rangers get it done by kind count of 8-5 to five after the Oakland A's entered into the 7th inning up by kind count of 5-2 to two, and then the Rangers went to work. Marcus Simeon had himself a 3-8 game. He's almost back to the Mendoza line, so that's as many home runs as myself. Currently a big, giant waste of money, but, hey, he wound up having himself a nice performance, and the Rangers' bullpen came to play in this one. Matt Moore, two scoreless settings, along Dennis Santana's scoreless setting to be able to get the save, even though 55 shades of John Gray, well, he wound up giving five runs, all of which weren't, so that's where the 5-5 five five comes from. Sean Murphy, fifth home run season, and Chad Pinder is fifth so lots of fives here, but for the A's, a team whose bullpen coming into this night was in the top six in the big leagues with regards to ERA it failed them. Danny Jimenez Three runs given up on two outs. Adam Clarek had to come in because he just could not do the job and got the final out. Zach Jackson gives up a run in one and a third innings, and Justin Grimm gives up a run in a third of an inning as Corvin, relatively solid start, got let down here, gives up three runs, two of which were earned in six and a third innings with Sheldon Noisy committing a error out there in the field. And for the A's, actually won their better offensive performances in this one, so a little bit bad that they were unable to get the job done in this one. And I will say for the A's, To their credit, they have been able to score now at least four runs in four out of their last five games. You did wind up seeing the Boston Red Sox somehow, someway, have a worse bullpen performance. So they lose to the Baltimore Orioles 12-8 after leading by a count of 8-2 going into the seventh inning as the Orioles outscore the Red Sox. 10-0 10-0 in the final three innings of this game as yeah, Jake Diekman come in. He allowed a home run to Ode Mateo his third home run season. Prior to the gas canning, you did wind up seeing Garrett Woodlock the starter give it up to Anthony Santander. Eighth home run season for Santander. Awesome to say Say's kid Wanted up going deep off of John Schreiber later. His fifth home run season for the starter, Woodlock. Two runs give it up in six innings. Relatively solid performance. Jake Diekman from there comes in for an inning, gives up three runs. John Schreiber went two-thirds of an inning, gave up two runs. Matt Stram. He went and got one out, giving up in the process. Four runs, three of which were earned, and then Itakowsu Sadamota comes in for an inning, gives up a run, and for the Red Sox, they did strain 11 men on base. You did wind up having, though, Xander Bogarts early on in this game, make his presence known. Fifth home run season, that comes off of Kyle Bradish, who just did not give the start that you were looking for. Six runs given up while well, getting five outs, and bullpen from there. Seven and the third innings, giving up two runs, as both Solzer had to eat a lot of innings, giving up two runs over the course of three innings, but the duo of Dylan Tate along with Gillespie give you a scoreless inning. Marco Stippelon was able to give you a scoreless inning. And then Cianella Perez and Ode Lopez got the final four outs of the game. So Orioles, they currently lead the American League in total wins against teams with a record above 500. And they got the job done here. The Giants as a big favorite. They could not get the job done themselves as they wind up losing 5-1 to, to the Cincinnati Reds. And hey, the Cincinnati Reds, they are now 12 and 8 in their last 20 games. Don't call it a comeback, ladies and gentlemen, as one Carlos Rodan winds up getting shelled in this one, giving up three runs in five and a third innings. As Brandon Drury goes in for his eighth home run season. Really, the big revelation for this Reds team over the last week or so. Graham Ashcraft, a very good start here. The team is 2 0 in his starts goes for six and a third scoreless innings. You do have Alexis Diaz give up a run in an inning, and then Art Warren gets a five-out save, but very solid there as for the San Francisco Giants. You did wind up having Zach Liddell give you a scoreless inning. Jose Alvarez gives up two runs, one of which was earned in his inning, and Reba did give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. So that's uh, not great for the big favorite in that one. The Milwaukee Brewers wind up falling to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 4-2 as Brandon Woodruff's season just has not been great. He winds up going just four innings in this one. He wound up leaving early due to right ankle inflammation as he wound up just going 61 pitches in this one. From there, you did wind up having Luis Perdomo give you two scoreless innings. And then Brent Suter winds up going two innings, giving up two runs in the process. And then Kesson was the only guy on the Brewers that was able to generate any offense. He winds up going deep off of Cody Whitley for his fourth home run season, as this was not necessarily an efficient start for Dakota Hudson, but four and two-thirds innings, scoreless, gave up five hits, four walks in those four and two-thirds innings, but didn't allow any runs, as Drew for Hagen stranded him on in the fifth, and then Genesis Cabrera gives you two scoreless innings, Whitley winds up giving up that home run, two runs a total, and one and a third innings before Ryan Elsley comes in and gets a save, and for the Cardinals, 25-20, and 20, not doing it too bad of a job there, you got a Yankees team that are currently the best team out there in the big leagues in terms of record 33-13. and 13. They take down the Rays this time with their pitching 2-0. Jamison on eight scoreless innings before Clay Holmes, who has been tremendous with a 0-36 ERA, comes in, closes the door, and gets the save. And for the Yankees, both of their runs come off of solo runs off of Jeffrey Springs, ironically enough, in the fourth inning. Matt Carpenter, who I tweeted this one out. If you take a look at him right now, I joke that, the original Matt Carpenter got abducted by a guy that was at a local coffee shop doing acoustic guitar riffs, and he comes in and he gets his first home run of the season. And then Gleyber Torres was able to get his eighth home run of the season. Can't recognize Matt Carpenter without the beard, but we can recognize the production as Jeffrey Springs. I mean, not a bad start in this one. He does allow the home run to Torres, who's heating up, but I mean, two solo home runs given up over the course of six innings. From there, you wound up getting two and a third scoreless out of Jalen Beeks, and Matt Whistler was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. But for the Rays... Two hits in this one. So Jameson Dion certainly did his part. The Philadelphia Phillies. They made a rally late, but fielding errors wound up really costing them in this one. 8-6 8-6 a final. The Phillies lose despite getting six runs in the sixth inning as you did wind up having to be able to cap that off. Garrett Stubbs be able to get a second home run of the season. That comes off Jason Shreve. As for the Mets, Carlos Carrasco winds up getting tagged with five of those runs in five and two-thirds innings as Shreve then winds up giving up the home run that pretty much capped it off, but Pope and the Mets was relatively solid in this one. Joey Rodriguez, Seth Lugo combined for a scoreless setting, and then Drew Smith and Edwin Diaz combined for a scoreless setting, and for the Mets. Pete Alonso was able to go deep off of Bailey Falter, his 12th home run season for Falter. He did Falter, giving up five runs in three innings, only two of which was earned, though. He was hurt by a pair of errors out there in the field. Been really a theme with the Phillies thus far this season. We're actually going to be talking about that tomorrow on the podcast, as we're going to have Ryan Rothstein of the Philadelphia CityCats joining me, but Nick Nelson gives up three runs in two innings. Andrew Bellotti drew familiar right hand. I'll give you a scroll of the setting, but damage had been done. Phillies now 21-25. and 25. So it's been relatively rough sledding there. The Atlanta Braves wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by kind of 6-4 as the Miami Marlins have been a very curious team all season long. And the pitching is starting to fail them a little bit. They've given up now at least four runs in five out of their last six games. And for the Fish, you did wind up having Trevor Rogers struggling, and giving up three runs over the course of five innings, including a jack to Mr. Austin Riley, his 10th home run of season. From their bullpen wasn't too bad. Lewis said, gives you a scoreless inning. He did have Stephen O'Kurt and Anthony Bass combined to give up three runs in an inning before Tanner Scott was able to give you a scoreless inning. And for the Marlins, offense hasn't been terrible. Asus Aguiar, sixth home run season. Garrett Cooper is third. Those both come off of Ian Anderson in the sixth inning. It allows four runs in total over the course of five and two-thirds innings, but Braves Currently, a top 18 with regards to bullpen area. AJ Minter was able to give you an out out of the bullpen. Kenley Jansen gets his 11th save of the season with a scoreless setting. And Jackson Stevens, two scoreless settings. The long guys for the Atlanta Rays have been solid. Minnesota Twins bullpen, by and large, has been solid. And for the Kansas City Royals, all of a sudden, this is becoming a little bit of an over team as they have now won up playing, I believe it is six out of their last seven games to the over sort of depends upon the number that you wind up having in their start against Giulito as to whether or not you can make it seven out of the last eight. But Royals wind up giving up quite a few in this one. Ten to seven the final as Brad Thunder Keller did not bring the Thunder, giving up six runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of bombs going deep for the Minnesota Twins. Ore Palanco is fifth home run season, Carlos Correa is third. And then from there you did wind up having the bullpen and not necessarily do too great. Joel Payamps. Gives up four runs and goes two-thirds of an inning. Gabe Spear, along with Dylan Coleman, were able to combine for two scoreless innings. Colin Snyder, a scoreless inning, and then Matt Peacock was able to give you an out of the bullpen. And for the Minnesota Twins, Bailey Ober, not necessarily the start he was looking for, giving up three runs over the course of three innings. Danny Columbia, who's been a little bit banged up this season, he winds up giving up a run in a third of an inning, but Two and two-thirds scoreless Uh Trevor McGill. You do wind up having Joe Smith who starting to see a little bit of regression here. He wanted up giving up a home run in his two-thirds of an end going deep for the Kansas City Royals in this one. You had MJ Melendez be able to get a home run off of Yanir. Cano. Cano what he wanted up giving up two runs. While getting just two outs in that one, he was able to go deep for his fourth home run of season. He's the understudy to Salvador Perez and has been able to do a solid job. And then Bobby Witt Jr. was the gentleman that wound up hitting the home run off of Smith. And then from there, you did wind up having Emilio Pagan get the final out of the game to be able to close things out. Caleb Theobar was able to keep things clean as well. And Johan Duran was able to give you a of setting as the Twins win this game despite stranding 13 men on base. And all of a sudden, they are 28-18 and 18 and have been smoldering. Thus far this season, a team that has also been pretty smoldering this season. That would be the Houston Astros, but they were cooled down by the Seattle Mariners. 6-1 the final as Justin Verlander finally looked like a 39-year-old in this one. He winds up giving up six runs in six innings, including four bombs going deep for the Seattle Mariners. Kyle Lewis, the 2020 Rookie of the Year in the American League, his first of the season. He was the only with injury. you wind up having Julio Rodriguez get his sixth home run season. Ty France goes deep for his seventh home run season. And then young up-and-comer Taylor Trammell, who they traded for a few years ago. He gets his first home run season. As for the Astros, he did wind up having two scoreless innings of the bullpen from Seth Martinez. And for the Astros, there's not a lot doing on offense. He's stranded nine men on bases. This was a very solid start from Chris Flexen, who prior to the start it was not looking so good for him. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings, and then. You have Matthew Festa and Andres Munoz. Both give you a scoreless setting. DK Nation picked was on the Toronto Blue Jays, and they get the job done 4-3 the final. You figured that there would be a little bit of progression with regards to the Blue Jays and their hitting with men in scoring position. They were dead last in terms of batting average with men in scoring position this season prior to this game. They go 5-12 of 12 with that regard, even though they do ground into three double plays. But for the Blue Jays, Alec Manoa did wind up giving up a pair of bombs, gave up three runs in total over the course of six innings, one of his worst performances of the year, only two of which was earned because he was the victim of three errors out there in the field. Going deep for the LA Angels in this one, Taylor Wade, second home run season, and Jared Walsh's 10th. But from there, the Blue Jays bullpen was able to hold down the Fort Yemi Garcia, Trevor Richards, Jordan Romano. i give you a scoreless setting. And for the LA Angels, it was the young gun and Mr. Chase Silseth who didn't wind up having a bad outing, gives up two runs in four and a third innings. Jimmy Erget, two scoreless innings from there, but then Aaron Loop gives up a run, didn't wind up getting it out. Ryan Pair pair of outs out of the bullpen over Ortega, a scoreless inning, but Rossi Oglesias has been showing some... Weakness here recently gives up an unearned run as he was hurt by a Juan Lagares fielding error. So, errors wound up marring this game a little bit. And the Blue Jays now 25 and 20, despite the fact that they are registering just 3.7 runs per game. This team is able to get it going on offense. You want to look out below there, and you've always got to be looking out for the LA Dodgers. They wanted covering another run line. They get the W against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Six of four, the finalists. They wanted getting a trio of bombs in this one as Madison Bumgarner gave up all three. Mookie Betts' 13th home run. of The season trade turner down for what? His fourth. Edwin Rios' his sixth for Bumgarner. Five runs, give it up in six innings. From there, the bullpen was able to hold it down. J.B. Wendell can have a scoreless inning. And Tyler Holton, two scoreless. But for the years in the Diamondbacks, two of 11 have been in scoring position. As Ryan P. Boy winds up getting the start. Ryan into a little bit of danger as he left with the bases loaded. Gives up just one run in four and a third innings. So Bruce Yarder-Graderol inherited a lot of runners and did a solid job. One and two thirds innings. Scoreless Alex Vesea. Gives you a inning, giving up a run in the process. And Craig Kimbrel looked a little bit shaky here. Now, as a 4.15 ERA, gives up two runs in his inning of work. But Danny Hudson scores inning out of him, and the LA Dodgers now have the best record out there in the National League, 31 and 14. And this is a team that all of a sudden. They have really been able to get things rolling. Six plus runs scored in four out of their last five games and five out of their last seven in the years So the Diamondbacks starting to fade a little bit. And the Padres don't cover the run line, but they get the outright win against the Pittsburgh Pirates by kind of four to three. As for the Pirates, Jose Quintana relatively solid start here. He was hurt by Josh Van Meter committing an error, so he wound up getting charged with two unearned runs over the course of five and a third innings. But bullpen from there for the Pirates not able to hold it down. Dwayne Underwood Jr. Gives up a run in an inning at Will Crow. One and two-thirds innings, he winds up giving up a home run to Luke Voigt. His third home run season at Shamanaya. It's been struggling a little bit here with the Padres. Not necessarily what you'd be looking for here. Three runs and seven innings out there in Petco. Far from terrific. He did wind up giving up a home run in the process to Brian Reynolds' his sixth home run season, but the Padres able to close it out with the bullpen to Bell Chrismet, along Taylor Rogers, both able to give you a scoreless inning and for the Padres. They are now 29-16 and 16 this season, so they have been terrific with that regard, despite the fact that They among National League teams in the bottom three with regards to run score at home on a per game basis. So that has been something very fascinating to be able to take a look at and What we're taking a look at right now as well with regards to Major League Baseball is just all that we've seen with regards to totals because we were expecting the offense to be able to pick up a little bit, but... We have been seeing the unders still being able to prevail as thus far this season a little bit over 53% of games have gone under the total according to covers, 335 are in 35 unders, 296 overs and in this time span favorites have gone 398 and 269 overall but we've seen as a result of the lower scoring games these favorites not be able to cover the run line. In 107 of these 398 straight up wins the home team has been unable to cover the run line and if you take a look more specifically at home teams they are 254 and 178 straight up so it right around 59% of games, but with regards to the run line, in 82 of these 154 wins, It has been by approximately one run. If you're just taking a look at the last seven days in general in Major League Baseball, 39-unders to 45-overs, so we have seen a little bit of a boost with regards to the overs and favorites. They've been relatively steady all season with right around that 59-60% to clip going 52-36 and in this time span straight up. So That's what we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Friday, and that's what we're getting with regards to trends in Major League Baseball. Now let's head to our nation's capital. That's where we find Chris Sheehan. He does a terrific job over there at Monumental Sports. He actually does a show out there from Capital One Arena every Monday through Friday, so we're going to be chatting with them about what we've all been seeing in baseball this season, teams that have disappointed and surprised them, and we're going to take a look at Saturday's games as well. That's up next right here on the Baseball Running Show with myself, Blake Peterson now, a part of the and Family Podcast.
0: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at pet 365 Twenty-one plus only. Must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler.
6: I'm Katya Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty-five years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
3: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Hello, Here Greg, is your host, you Greg today. Peterson. The Baseball
5: Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as we head out to Washington, D.C., the DMV area for this one, and Christian is doing a great job. Hosting the show by the book over there at Monumental Sports Network, a man that does a great job of be able to take a look at everything from what we're seeing in the NHL and NBA playoffs right now to the MLB to golf. Guy covers it all, and to be able to follow Chris on on Twitter, that is at the Big Cheese Show. That is the words the and then big and then C H E E and then show all together. And Chris, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
10: Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. Looking forward to talking some baseball with you ahead of a huge weekend quarter poll. We're there, and uh, we've got some teams making moves and teams that are already looking out of it at this point.
5: Absolutely. We certainly do have some teams that have been able to do a great job. And, well, for the Cincinnati Reds, the season was over for them before it even started. So that was not necessarily so great. But right now, with about 42 to 45-ish games played by all these teams, Who have been a few teams that have stood out to you either to the positive or the negative? Because I do feel like there's been quite a few surprises this year. And it certainly has been a pretty interesting season with regards to the top and bottom teams.
10: Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with a team like the Toronto Blue Jays. I thought that they would have perhaps surged out to a better start here and they're certainly going to be in contention and you've got a guy like Kevin Gossman who on the opposite end, you know, I didn't know if he was going to have the success that he had in San Francisco, but certainly has become more of a pitcher that's got multiple options. When he was in Baltimore, a lot of times he didn't really have that third pitch that could put batters away. Hinjin Ryu starting to step up here as well here too. So I think Toronto could be with a nice little surge ahead here. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, he was getting a lot of stuff down in the zone I was noticing and really pounding it into the ground instead of really getting the lift there. And then, you know, you probably need more from guys like Gurriel and Teoscar Hernandez. So We'll see how Toronto does there. Teams that have kind of surprised me, Seattle. Seattle was a sexy pick coming into the season to maybe get over their win totals. I bought into it, but you've had Mitch Haniger hurt. The pitching staff, Robbie Ray, this is not a guy that's going out there and delivering like an Aaron Nola of the Philadelphia Phillies who has really come on here. So they're a team. And then the Minnesota Twins, they've been pretty solid. And Byron Buxton has not been hitting that great as of late here, but still they get good performances out of a lot of their guys like Bailey Ober, who we'll see Friday night. And they're hitting as well here too, guys like Max Kepler, Carlos Correa now off the injured list, too. So, wasn't expecting Minnesota to be that great. And then finally, Greg, the Detroit Tigers. They just had so many injuries, though, on the pitching staff there. Javier Baez coming into this season. I was kind of like, you know, is this, is he a great hitter or is he a power guy who strikes out too much? And so, the Tigers. Hitting. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is like their most reliable hitter at this point, it feels like. So they've been surprising, too.
5: Yep, it has been interesting to look at the Blue Jays because they're actually above 500 right now, but they just haven't gotten that offense online going into Friday. E averaging 3.7 runs per game, you got to figure that that's going to be going northward. But question is, when does that wind up going northward? And when it does is it maybe going to be a case of which a pitching, because the bullpen has been a little bit up and down, just can't wind up holding on as well. But I think that they're going to be such an interesting team to take a look at for this weekend. And just moving forward to generalize, we do have Chris Sheehan joining me on the podcast. And one other thing that I think is going to be really interesting to look at as well is a team that's out there in your neck of the woods, that'd be the Washington Nationals, because they were supposed to play a single game on Friday and then a single game on Saturday. They want to get washed out on Friday. so. Now we've got a double dip that is going to be going down, and one of those guys in the doubleheader is just a guy that I love to fade in, Johan Adon. Hopefully we don't wind up getting this switch because this is a guy that has went one at eight and nine starts, 697 ERA, and all eight of the losses in his nine starts by at least three runs. He's just one of the favorite fades I have found in Major League Baseball this season, and with the Nationals, they currently are rocking a record of 7-17 and at home. I am sure that there's going to be brighter days ahead for the Washington Nationals, but they're just one of these teams that they're in a clear rebuild mode, and when you're able to get some of these pitchers, like Patrick Corbin, who finally got his first win a couple nights ago, there are some guys on the Nationals that you could just fade and make money all season long with.
10: Greg, I told you, brother, I listened to the show, and eight Adon, we... Absolutely cash with that getting rocked by this Dodgers lineup. When it comes to this Nationals team, we talk rebuild, right? Um, I don't think it had to be. You know, I think what happened was Trey Turner and and I'm only speculating, but Trey Turner went to Mike Rizzo and management and said, Well, it's time for me to get majorly paid. I'm not staying here, so get some value for me here because they didn't have to, in my opinion. All right, fine, trade Scherzer. But you have Strasburg, who will be coming back at some point. He's doing some rehab stuff here now. You look at the core of this lineup. Yes, Nelson Cruz is probably past his prime here. Juan Soto, he's not really doing great at the plate, whether he's base running, whether he's in the field. But, like, this team here, like Josh Bell, he went through – you know, not having anything more so than singles since the beginning of May. They've got veterans, but I don't see them being uh, in the conversation. Maybe trying to deal some of these pieces, not named Soto, in my opinion, come deadline time.
5: Yeah, And I do think that that's going to be something interesting to take a look at as well, because a team like the Washington Nationals, known sellers in the Chicago Cubs. I still remember when the Cubs and Nationals were playing that series. Like, literally at the time of the trade deadline, they just had no players to trot out there for that game. It was one of the most hilarious Things ever. One of the most frustrating things of handicap, we wound up getting Jake Arrieta in that game. And of course, you wound up giving up a bunch of runs. But I, I take a look at those teams. I think that it's interesting to handicap them right now because you've got a lot of guys that they sort of know their fate. They know that they're going to be getting traded away at some point. I would say that for Patrick Corbin, but I just don't know who would want Patrick Corbin right now with the way that he's been pitching. The Cubs certainly have some guys. The Cincinnati Reds are going to be sellers at the deadline. I think gauging these teams right now here in late May, early June, knowing that they're sort of trying to build up their trade stock is going to be really interesting because you got to feel like these guys are actually, in a weird way, going to be very, very motivated to try to help maximize their trade stock, try to be able to get to a really good team. So I take a look at some of these stud pitchers on lesser teams right now. I actually think that there's a little bit of an edge to be had on them. Meanwhile, when you've got some of these guys like a Yoan Adon, you're able to throw in there some of the other younger starters like an Elvin... Rodriguez who's going to be going for the Detroit Tigers some of these guys that they don't belong in the big leagues I just love fading those guys because they're just getting called up too soon
10: yeah absolutely and you know you're seeing it in some situations here too where some of these young pitchers you know, there's not a lot of tape on them. So I kind of go back and forth uh, with that one, Greg, but I try to personally target veterans to the game. Rich Hill, it didn't work out for me. And I know uh, congrats to you on your DK Nation pick the following day, targeting the Red Sox Bats against Dallas Keichel. I targeted them against Lucas Giolito, which was a mistake. But I kind of like looking at the veterans here. A guy like a Kyle Gibson, who has had increased strikeout numbers as of late. Aaron Nola, who's been vintage as of late, too. Just talking about a couple of Phillies here. Charlie Morton, who has been roughed up here kind of um, in the last starts. But he had himself a 42% curveball whiff rate in a couple of earlier May starts. So personally, with my handicapping, I'm always looking at the veteran pitcher first, unless their name is Dallas Keuchel in that case. No, sir, that's a fade for me. And Patrick Corbett, too, I mean, was a major part of the Nationals rotation when they won the World Series as the third starter. But he is not a top end guy he doesn't have the control and then when he does have the control he's leaving in the middle of the plate too much so this doesn't have that to be cliche that dogging him that attack mode getting the corners that you want to see out of a pitcher with this Nats team and bullpen actually as of late for Washington I will say we'll see how it plays out this weekend but guys like Tanner Rainey and Steve Ciszek have been stepping up here too and Kyle Finnegan it's a roller coaster sometimes but Right now, it's been good Kyle Finnegan.
5: Yep, and you're probably going to need to get a couple innings out of some of those longer levers as well, like Erasmo Ar- Ramirez. I would be taking a look at Paulo Espino. Probably going on Saturday as well, because now they're going to be playing a doubleheader. And if you're looking at bad bullpens, Colorado Rockies, Exhibit A, because oh. they are dead last with regards to bullpen ERA. So that could be a big factor with regards to that twin bill as well. As we do have Chris Sheehan joining me on the podcast. And I know that you were talking about veterans. We've seen an increase in strikeouts, which I think is actually very applicable to this one because on Saturday, we are going to be seeing that Blue Jays versus Angels game. And a guy that, since he's been in the major leagues, who has been able to kick up those strikeout numbers, that'd be Yusei Kikuchi. I remember in his first few years in Seattle, he's getting right around seven strikeouts per nine innings. This year, it's more around 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So in every year that he's been at the MLB, he's been able to do a little bit better. Going to be going up against Michael Lorenzen. Of the LA Angels, a guy that has been relatively solid. 305 ERA. I think that he's doing for a little bit of regression, just given the way that he's been giving up a little bit more contact than you'd like. Walks per nine rate, right, right around about a 2.8-ish, but certainly has been able to do a nice job of be able to hold down the fourth. How do you wind up taking a look at this one? Because as I'm seeing it, it's a relative pick'em game between the Blue Jays and the Angels. I know you want up talking about the Blue Jays a little bit earlier as well, but I think that this is one of the more fascinating games for Saturday, and you mentioned it with some of these guys that have seen increased strikeout numbers and how they've been a little bit more trustworthy in Kikuchi, I think is an interesting case.
10: Yeah, absolutely. Kikuchi has been somebody that, as my fantasy days go, uh, was somebody that I faded because he kind of would run into some issues here. But if I'm looking at this Angels team here, I mean, Anthony Rendon was an auto-fade for me for a minute, but he has been... Getting some good bat-to-ball. Mike Trout, too. Obviously, that's somebody that you're always going to be want to be targeting. And it's like you've said on your show. I mean, the Angels almost have an embarrassment of riches at this point. Uh, sending Adele down to the minors here. So we did see Otani getting hit up a little bit. Whereas Ryu, the night prior, he was pretty good. So probably lean towards these Blue Jays bats, because I do think when, you know, Biggio and Bichette, I think they're a little bit deeper in that regard there. So I would probably, and again, I'd like the Blue Jays bullpen a little bit more so than the Angels as well there too. So things you got to keep in mind with the, Overs looking like they're going to be coming in more so probably or or potentially here. Zach Greinke said it in his last start after Chase Field. He's like, I actually didn't make that many mistakes, but, you know, the ball's flying out now. So if that's going to be the case, probably I want more of the bats with the Blue Jays.
5: Yep. And I mean, would anyone be surprised if MLB winds up changing the balls on us with not telling anyone whatsoever? I would not be, so that is always something that you have to be cautioning yourself with as well, and when it comes to what we're all getting on Saturday as well, it is going to be a really interesting case. We're going to have a few more games that expected, just because we did wind up seeing a few rainouts. Mentioned it with regards to that Nationals versus Rockies doubleheader. We are certainly going to be getting that one. Looks like Guardians versus Tigers will be a single game on Saturday, but I know that they got washed out on Friday, so always want to be mindful of some of those things as well, but... When it comes to a game that you're looking at for Saturday, whether you're going to be betting it or you just want to see a little bit more from a pitcher slash a team, is there anything that you're really going to be keeping your eye on with regards to the slate for Saturday?
10: Yeah, for Saturday, certainly have my eye on the Phillies taking on the Mets. Just because Taiwan Walker, I call him Taiwan the Don, this is a dude that... Has a nice ground ball rate, I think, with Philadelphia's bats. I think that with a guy like Bryce Harper, we thought that elbow injury could lead to some issues at the plate, but he's still been swinging a good bat there, too. You have JT Real Muto, even though he's not in Friday's lineup, he'll probably be playing on Saturday. He's somebody who is looking like he's doing a little bit better at the plate here now, too. So, Zach Eflin, he's a starter that sometimes I don't know what to totally expect out of him, but I would imagine that I will be having some sprinkles on the New York Metropolitans in this matchup, and then the Rays and the Yankees. I mean, Corey Kluber, I've always appreciated his kind of focus and Klubot, and you know, the four four two ERA isn't exactly outstanding. Garrett Cole has been kind of rounding into form here too, so. When these two teams get together, it's really been a nice rivalry over the last few years. So those are two games that I've definitely got my eye on uh, from the betting standpoint.
5: And to your point with Yankees versus Rays with the Yankees doing their spring training work out there in the state of Florida, I think that that adds a little bit of juice to it as well. And I think that that is going to be a tremendous game for Saturday. And Chris, I know that you're doing absolutely tremendous work over there at Monumental Sports. You are hosting for them every Monday through Friday by the book. You're able to catch that. If you're out here on the West Coast afternoons, more on the East Coast, I will call it early evenings for you guys. You do a great job with it. I know that your co-host Meg McDonald also does a terrific job of just being able to take a look at a little bit of everything since you guys cover baseball, all that we're getting with regards to both of the major playoffs, you guys do a great job when it comes to week in and week out taking a look at all these golf tournaments as well. So you guys cover it all. So let the good people know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything they've got going on in general. Greg, very much kind words for you. Really appreciate
10: that. At the Big Cheese Show on Twitter, I retweet Monumental Sports Network. That's the best place to watch it, 5 to 6.30. We hit the ground running talking about all the sports that you can wager on inside the Caesar Sportsbook in Washington, D.C. Instagram as well, too. Sometimes I'll post some pictures. Showing out by the pool, Greg, listening to your fine podcast, getting ready for baseball sleep. Yeah, thanks for your time, my dude.
5: And Chris doing absolutely amazing work as Monumental Sports, doing a great job hosting that show. And I believe that you guys actually do that from Capital One Arena every single day, don't you?
10: Oh, yes, we certainly do. It gets very crowded for Washington Capitals games. Unfortunately, they could not get the job done against the Florida Panthers, even though that was an evenly matched series. So, we get a good crowd in there. It's a great scene in D.C. right downtown. Get your wagers in and a bunch of big screens. It's a good time. It's all we got, Greg. You're in Vegas. Plenty of options, but it's a lot of fun.
5: Oh, yes. When you're able to wind up doing shows from some of those nice environments, I get to do mine during the weekends from Circa for VEASAN. It's always tremendous. So, I I mean, being able to have that show out there in Washington, D.C., Chris does an amazing job with it. He and Meg do a terrific job every Monday through Friday, and it was great to be able to get Chris on the podcast today. First time having him on. Hopefully, it's not going to be the last because he wound up certainly delivering the goods today. So, big thanks, to Chris Cheon, for joining me right here on the Baseball Benning Show, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast. I give you fixed and analysis on every game on the Benning Board for this MLB Saturday as we.
0: If you dare.
2: I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win
8: a one on one contest. Yeah, because you got to think. Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard.
1: Like, you see him in the Olympics, <laughs> he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of it.
9: like that. See that?
3: Ladies and gentlemen,
1: please welcome Sam Casella to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying, I mean, he was in a culture shock. At the he's, he's going to withdraws us about winning. Remember
7: what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs>
3: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
5: And we're back here. Love you, Las Vegas. For the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Big thanks to Chris Gian, doing a great job over there at Monumental Sports, doing the show by the book. Bets You are able to catch that Monday through Friday. He is out there in the DMV area, a.k.a. Washington, D.C., doing a great job holding it down. And it was great to be able to get him on the podcast. First time that I've had him on the podcast. Certainly hope it is not the last. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
5: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at u one We are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any Interleague games are going to be at the bottom I will be doing the double header that we're going to be getting between the Red Sox and the Orioles together because we do have some to-be-determined pitchers there, so just a little bit easier if I wind up doing both at the same time, and that way I'm not going through player sets twice within like a 30-minute time span, things like that. So I'll do those together, but past that, going to be going in less exhortation, and that begins with 901 902 on the banging board, the Milwaukee Brewers hit the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Matthew Libator is going to be going for the cards, and Adrian Don't Call Me Dookie Houser is going to be going for the Brewers. Brewers are in a relative pick em game here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 106 and minus 110. With the Cardinals, it's anywhere between minus 102 and minus 110, with your total anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And On the NF, under is minus 115, the over is minus 105. On the 8, over is minus 125, the under is plus 105, and with the Brewers, I did mind setting them as a bit of a favorite here of minus 124. You take a look at Libertor, Wanda making his first career start against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and and it didn't go great. He gave up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Cardinals were able to get the job done because they were able to have a lot of offense, but Take a look at LibraTor and what he wound up doing at the Triple A level. wasn't impressive this season. I mean, last year he wound up going nine to nine with a 4.04 ERA at the minor league level. He wound up getting right around 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings at the minor league level. Command is not bad, but he does wind up giving up quite a bit of general contact, a little bit of hard contact. So that's a bit of an issue and. I just think making him a pickup against a guy like an Adrian Ouzer, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Adrian Ouzer, after the All-Star Bay Clive season... Wound up having an ERA that was hovering right around three-ish. This year, he's been a little bit up and down, but I mean, despite the three and four record, 298 ERAs give it up one home run in 42 and a third innings. The walks are a bit of an issue. He's given up right around four walks per nine innings, but I do think that he's going to do a solid job holding down the fort now with the Brewers. The issue that you do have with this team is the fact that you've got a pair of mashers that are on the injured list. Hunter Renfro, William Adams. Both of these guys have been able to give you nine home runs, two main constants in this offense, which means that you're going to be relying much more on someone like a Christian Yelich, and he's been a little bit up and down ever since he wound up having that MVP season. Rowdy Tellez has been able to do a solid job Will be able to put back the ball. He's been able to give you nine home runs, and you take a look at the in general. You really don't have dead bats in this lineup overall. They were rating at 236 going into Friday, but you don't necessarily have to say if that one guy that's just jumping out and doing an amazing job. Mark Brasva and Luis Urias are the only guys that are hitting right around uh, 260 or greater among guys that are currently not on the injured list. Got a lot of guys like Kessin Christian Yelich, Omar Nervaez, Tyrone Taylor, in between about a 235 to a 250, so a little bit up and down there, but certainly have been able to hold down the fort. and then you do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, and I like what you've got out of Nolan Arenado: nine home runs, 285 batting average. It's been a little bit up and down recently, and right now, with regards to just being able to get on base, Paul Goldschmidt, one of the best players in the big leagues, hitting nearly a 350, so he has been tremendous. Juan Yepes has been able to come in as a little bit of a younger guy along with Brandon Donovan. These guys have been solid. And then I do like their prospect in Nolan Gorman, who's come up. He's someone that hasn't really been able to put together a lot of power, but has been able to get on base and with the Cardinals... They do have a little bit of a better overall bullpen, but as I said, obviously the Brewers, they've got that ultimate ninth inning weapon in Josh Hader. Devin Williams on top of that has been terrific out there in the eighth inning. You've got a little bit more depth with regards to this Cardinals bullpen though. Ryan Elsley, as it's all, Giovanni Gagos is starting to put it together. Andre Palanti has been terrific. When it comes to some of the guys like Trevor Gott, Brad Boxberger, they can be a little bit up and down for the Brewers, but I just don't think that this is the case. A bunch of Brewers should be a pick here with having such a big pitching advantage with how they going to the mound. So the Brewers at a minus 124, so I'm going to be one to lay here. I did wind up saying my total at an 8.3, so looking at the 8.5, I think that Hauser is going to be able to hold down the fort. I do think that Hader and Williams in the 8th and 9th inning are going to be able to shut it down to be able to keep this total under, so looking under and looking Brewers. 903 904 is going to be the DK Nation pick, as we've got the Colorado Rockies in the red face off against the Washington Nationals. Yohan Adone is going to be going for the Nets, and Chad Cool is going to be on the bum. For Colorado, Colorado Colorado's find themselves anywhere between a minus 105 to a plus 105. Meanwhile, with the Nationals, it's anywhere between minus 112 and minus 120. Total on this game is 9. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the same goes for the over. And the DK Nation pick is going to be on the Colorado Rockies. I wound up setting them as a minus 136 favorite. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be giving up for DK Nation. Just the money line of the Colorado Rockies. But if you can find a reverse run line... I'm sure that you're going to be able to get it at a plus price. A lot of places don't wind up having this overnight, especially out here in Las Vegas. So I don't have a price for you right now, but that's a place where I'm going to be exploring right now because you want to He has been absolutely terrible this year. He has made nine starts thus far. The team has won an eight and in all eight losses, they've come by three runs or more. Now going up against Colorado Rockies and the Rockies being on the road. That's a nice elixir. You take a look at this Colorado team, six and 13 on the road. But the Nationals—they have a worse home winning percentage than the Rockies do a road winning percentage. Seven and seventeen entering into Friday. These guys have been absolutely terrible. And then you take a look at the actual numbers for Mr. Adone, six ninety-seven ERA. Right? I mean, he's not even necessarily giving up a ton of hard contact. Five home runs in forty-one and a third innings. He's just getting banged around like a piñata. Nine and a half hits for nine innings. His blocks per nine rate is right around six. I mean, this is terrible. Now, Chad Cool, he's been having his command issues as well, right around 3.6 walks per nine innings, not necessarily overly much of a swing and miss guy. Neither team is backed up by a good bullpen. As a matter of fact, the Rockies bullpen is a little bit worse than the Nationals, but both of these teams in the bottom 10 with regards to bullpen area, you take a look at someone like Carlos Estevez, been a little bit of a tough year for him. Daniel Bard has been solid with the Colorado Rockies, but you least just seen guys like this not been terrific. And then you do take a look at the Washington Nationals and Victor Rano getting big innings, not necessarily a recipe for success. Paul Espino has actually been halfway decent on the bullpen along with Rassimo Ramirez, but Tanner Rainey is right now your closer knee at north of a 70 area last season, so boy oh boy, that is not necessarily what you were hoping for there. And then when it comes to the Rockies, you always have to be mindful of their home and road splits when it comes to the batting average as they're hitting about 50 points lower on the road than they are at home. But CJ Crone still has been able to do a relatively solid job. Now out of his 12 home runs, nine have wound are coming at home. So no doubt there's a big giant fall off with regards to him, but you still do have that Washington Nationals team that they are not necessarily doing a terrific job with regards to their pitching. And what I think is so interesting with them is that Juan Soto just has not had a good year. He was the favorite to win MVP in the national league coming into the season. He's got eight home runs and is hitting at .232. Has been able to do a solid job of being able to get on base. But, man, you're just expecting more out of him. You take a look at this lineup of the Nationals, and it's not terrible. I and mean, you've got Josh Bell, D-Strange Gordon, Cesar Hernandez, Kiber Ruiz. All these guys hitting between about a 279 to a 296. So, they've been able to get on base. Michael Franco sitting hitting right around 250. Nelson Cruz starting to pick it up a little bit more. But, you do have your question marks with regards to this Washington Nationals team and I will throw this in here as well as I am doing this. It does appear as though we are gonna be getting a twin bill with regards to Nationals versus Colorado Rockies and I mean, I've got to think that as of right now because I'm doing this just as it was announced that there was going to be a double header that you're going to get Austin Gomber and Aron Sanchez in one of these games as well. So that is going to be a game that is going to be added at the bottom of the betting board. So this is most likely going to be 933, 934. My handicap on this game is going to remain relatively the same. I did want to make Sanchez in this one a minus 122 favorite and a total of 8.7 because we're going to dive into this one a little bit. So we're sort of going to do this the same way I'm going to be doing and the Orioles versus the Red Sox doubleheader where I just wind up combining both at the same time. But you do take a look at Austin Gomber and he's been able to do a solid job throughout his two years with the Colorado Rockies at home on the road. It has not necessarily been so good for him as... Last year, he wound up having right around 208 home ERA. Road ERA was literally north of 6. Now, those home and road splits have been rained in a little bit more this season. He's got a 411 ERA overall, which considering he pitches at Coors Field, it's not necessarily too bad. as has given up 1.2 home runs per 9 innings, but 409 road ERA, 413 home ERA, and then you take a look at Sanchez, and he had given up at least 3 runs in each out of his first, I believe it was 5 starts of the season before in his last start, being able to go out and having a good performance against Brewers, but I did see some signs of brightness from last season before he wound up getting injured he was with the San Francisco Giants. He was part of that no-hitter with the Houston Astros a few seasons ago. Just a big question of command because it has been a little bit all over the place for him in his career. Typically when it's good, he's able to be on his game. When it is off, then it winds up becoming just a little bit of a hot mess in general. And when this game wound up going off the board yesterday, you were finding it with the Nationals being right around about a minus 108 to a minus 110 favorite. So if we wind up getting something similar there, I would be taking a look at the Nationals Nationals right around, like I said, minus 110-ish as I set them as a minus 122. My total on 8.7, so I'd be looking at the, at the time, 9.5 at a lot of spots with juice on the under, to the under, if you wind up getting a 9 with a minus 120 over and an even juice under, we'll be looking there as well. So, just wanted to tie that loop and the DK Nation pick. It's just going to be a fade on our good friend, Mr. Johan Adon, because this is just a case in which, whether he winds up being a little bit switched and goes up against Gomber or If he winds up going up against right now the projected starter in Chad Cool, who's been able to do a relatively solid job this season, had two bad starts against the San Francisco Giants, but you take out those two Giants starts and he has allowed a grand total of seven runs over the course of right in the neighborhood, about 33 innings, so he's actually been able to do a very solid job holding down the fourth game over from Pittsburgh last season, so he's got a little bit of familiarity with going up against the Washington Nationals, and you do take a look at what Chad Cool has been able to do on the road this season. A 320 ERA in five starts has given up just one home run, and opponents are in a 226 off of them. So, this is a case in which the DK Nation pick, we're just going to call it what it is. It's a fate of you on 8 so we're just going to keep it nice, clean, and simple there. But in the case of Cool versus 8 I was making this total a 9.7. So, if we do wind up getting the same matchup as yesterday, I will be looking at the under in Sanchez versus Gomber. But here in Cool versus 8 uh, I on a 9.5, like I'm seeing right now, I would be looking at the over, and like I said, DK Nation pick, we are going to be looking at fading Yohan Adon. Sorry if that was a little bit jumbled up because we wound up having that postponement literally as I was doing the breakdown, but that's what I've got there. 905, 906 on the betting board. The Miami Merlins, they're going to be in the road, and they're going to be facing up against the Atlanta Braves. Sandy Alcantara is going to be going for the fish, and Tucker Davidson is going to be going on the bump for Atlanta. Atlanta is finding themselves as anywhere between a minus 118 and a minus 130 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the fishies, it's anywhere between plus 105 and plus 112. Your total on scheme is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, the over is minus 120 and the under is even on the 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105 and When it comes to the Miami Marlins, I did wind up saying them as a plus 114 underdog. So this is a case in which we went a little bit too far on the Atlanta Braves to be able to lay it. But I just need about two more cents to be able to take a shot here on the Miami Marlins. Would not be surprised if I do wind up landing on the Braves though. Because you take a look at the Miami Marlins and all season long has received the steam on them just night in and night out. You typically wind up seeing about 20 cent line moves. With regards to the Miami Marlins, I mean, even just take a look at what we wound up getting on Friday. You wound up having the Marlins open up right around a plus 130 with the Atlanta Braves right around a minus 150 and at circa, and the Braves wound up closing more around a minus 134. So I do think that this is a case in which, when it's all said and done with regards to live movement, probably going to be on the Braves. Gonna be in a little bit more wait and see mode, but as long as I can get a minus one fourteen or better on the Braves, that's where I would be looking because you do have a guy in Tucker Davidson who a up and comer that I do like. He's had a little bit of a rough go of it first few stars. Did wind up giving up five runs against the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals. But someone that does a solid job will be able to keep the ball in the yard. You take a look at these starts. They wind up having last season at the big league bubble. And wind up making four of them at a 360 ERA. Did wind up allowing a couple too many walks. Eight walks and 20 innings. But was able to show some good swing and miss stuff as well. And then for Sandy Alcantara. He's always been a guy that has performed a little bit differently home to road. This year a 2.38 road ERA across his four starts. Which has been very good to see. But you go back to 2021, 241 home ERA, 401 road ERA, and on the road gave up 13 home runs. In 101 innings, meanwhile, in 104 and two-thirds innings at home, eight home runs. So he's a little bit more susceptible to the deep ball when he is away from Miami. And this is a Marlins bullpen that it's been a little bit up and down this season. Stephen Okert has been able to come in. He's certainly been able to do a fine job for the team. Cole Sulzer, who wanted coming over in the deal from the Baltimore Orioles, he's been able to do a nice job as well. And then you've also got a pair of guys in Lewis Head along with Anthony Bass, who's got a sub 1.60 ERA, but Anthony Bender, another 4 ERA, and then. you you do take a look at the Sandliner line of Braves team, and Tyler Madzik dealing with a little bit of an injury, he has not necessarily been terrific for the team, and Kenley Jansen just seems to blow saves at the most inopportune of times, but still is one of the better closers, that so you're going to find out there in the big leagues, you've got two good long guys in Spencer Strider, along Jackson Stevens, who have really been able to stem the tide this season as well, and you've got to figure that Davidson, if he's not necessarily going to be going super long in this start, one of these guys, they might wind to be coming out, and both of them have been very trustworthy, and then you take a look at both of these lineups and For the Marlins, the actual batting average of this team has not been too bad. You've got John Birdie, who's now back in the fold. He, along with Jess Shislam both hitting right around 290 for this team. Joy Wendell sitting at 300. He's now back in the fold. Brian Anderson, A.C. Sagier, both of these guys get on base, so that is helpful, but you do need Guys like Ore Soler, Jesus Sanchez, Miguel Rojas, we're hitting a 225 or lower to be able to step it up a little bit more for the Atlanta Braves, getting back Ronald Acuna Jr. It's something that is a must for this team. He's sort of been in and out of the the last few weeks, so that's been a little bit of an issue, but Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Travis Aaron, Nomad Olson, all these guys entering into Friday, running between about a 244 to a 254. Been able to get some relatively solid pop out of Riley. He's been able to go deep nine times this season. You've got a lot of just overall power for this team. Even a guy like Adam Duvall. He's only hitting at 200 this year. He's been a little bit off, but had more than 30 home runs last season. I do think that he's going to be able to find it. This is going to depend a little bit more on the line move. This is this winds up going a little bit more in favor of Miami will be looking there. The way that things have been going this year with regards to Marlins games, I do anticipate that we're going to be able to get a little bit of a better price here on the Atlanta Braves as this winds up getting to the Braves. Being minus 114 or better, going to be willing to lay it there, but like I said, in a little bit of wait-and-see mode there, and I did wind up saying my total at a with the way that the Marlins have some relatively solid pitching. Bats have been a little bit up and down for them. So looking under, and I'm most likely going to be looking at the Rays, but once again, a little bit dependent on line movement. 907, 908 on the main board. These San Francisco Giants are going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is on to a to-be-determined starter for them, which is why this game is currently off the board, and Alex Wood is going to be on the bump for the Giants now. Just by process of elimination, I've determined that it's most likely going to be Vladimir Gutierrez, who's going to be getting the start for the Reds. He would be going on normal rest, but... If not, you're probably going to be getting some sort of a young starter and or a bullpen game for the Cincinnati Reds, and I would have a relatively similar line if we do wind up having bullpen game slash younger starter of the Reds, where I want to making this between Wood and Gutierrez, the Giants a minus 183 favorite, minus 122, laying a run and a half on the run line and a total of 9.3, which makes a nine or less a play on the over and a nine and a half or a higher to the under. You take a look at Alex Wood and been very average this year. As a matter of fact, he's been a little bit below average. 482 ERA. That has honestly been two terrific, three plus runs given up in four out of his last five starts. And what I find to be interesting about Alex Wood is that you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road this year, it's actually been halfway decent. 366 road ERA and four starts given up. Two home runs at 19 and two thirds innings. His strikeouts per nine rate on the road is right around 10. If you do wind up getting Vladimir Gutierrez, I'm not going to give overly much on him just because it is a little bit more speculatory. Well, it has not been too terrific this year. I think that I'm putting it as politely as I can. He's made seven starts. Last start wanted coming on Monday. He has given up at least three runs in all but one of his starts. That was the first start that he made of the season against the Atlanta Braves and the Reds. They have lost all but one of his starts, and the one start that they want up winning, they wound up erupting for 14 runs against the Milwaukee Brewers, and every one of his losses, aside from the game in which he wanted pitching against the Atlanta Braves, all of those five losses, because there's one win sprinkled in there as well, by two-plus runs. So it's something that you do want to be keying in on, and the big thing for Vladimir Gutierrez is the deep ball. He has made seven starts, gone 30 innings, giving up seven home runs, and his walks per nine rate, and it's currently hovering right around a, I'm not even kidding, north of six. And then for both of these bullpens, it has been a little bit rough. The Giants last year were the only team in the big leagues that had a sub-three bullpen ERA. As far as this season, Zach Liddell, Dominic Leone, they have dealt with injuries. Jose Alvarado has not necessarily been too terrific for this team. So you've got your issues there. And then for the Reds, you can't have any faith whatsoever in guys like Tony Santian. You throw in their Hunter Strickland, that's been rough. Now, Alexis Diaz has actually been tremendous. He's Posting up right around a 1-ish year HF Hoffman has been okay as well. But Gutierrez is probably not going to give you a lot of length. Hoffman could sometimes go multiple innings. But, I mean, you really need a little bit more of a bullpen for the seam. And then you take a look at the lineup of the San Francisco Giants. And all of a sudden, these guys are starting to get healthy. Tommy LaSalle is back to full. He and Mike Stromsky both entered into Friday along with Luis Gonzalez hitting above a 300. you You've got Jock Peterson along with Wilmer Flores both hitting in that pocket about 260 to 265. And it's been the Jock show recently. Five home runs in the last five days for him. He has been tremendous. Evan Longoria, he's got back to fold as well. And then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds and it's been a lineup that has been able to do some things. Albert Amora Jr. is back. He's hitting above a 300. Tyler Stevenson. Be able to throw on their brand new jewelry He's starting to cool down a little bit more, but he's been able to give you seven home runs. He's hitting right around at 250 for this team. Are you see Sakino along with Joey Votto. These guys have just been rough in general. I mean, Votto, he's come off the injured list. He hasn't necessarily done a lot since coming in off the injured list. I think it was more of a COVID sort of thing, but still, it's not been too terrific, so this is a spot in which I do wind up saying the Giants minus 122 on the run line, minus 183 on the money line. If we do wind up getting Wood and Gutierrez, probably not going to adjust too much. If we do wind up seeing someone other than Gutierrez, because it's probably not going to be too much better, but 9 or less going to be looking at an over nine and a half prior to the under as we go to 909-910 9, on the betting board. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing us, the LA Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers and Merrill Kelly is going to be on the bump for Arizona. Arizona is finding themselves as a pretty big underdog here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 140 and seeing his is plus 163 right now. Meanwhile, on the Dodgers, it's saying we're team minus 160 and minus 180. Nine and a half is your total. Over and under are both at minus 110. Merrill Kelly's is one, one of the most trustworthy starters for the Arizona Diamondbacks all season long. And now that we've gotten north of a plus 150, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here. And as I'm doing this, Westgate is coming out. With their numbers, I'm seeing a plus 160 there. So makes it all the better. You take a look at what Merrill Kelly has really been able to do since the ulcer break last season. And Last year, he was the only guy for the years on the so I was able to get them a win. And thus far this season, he has been able to be a very solid pitcher at home. And you take a look at him throughout his career. He's got right around a one and a half point difference between his home and road ERA. And this year it's even more demonstrative. Two seventeen home ERA. 540 roadie, already giving up just one home run over the course of 29 innings at home thus far this season, despite the fact that the opponent's batting average is higher with him in Arizona rather than on the road. He's been much more effective. And then you take a look at Tony Gonsolin, has been very solid for the LA Dodgers, and it's starting to lend a little bit more length as well. That is always the trepidation I've had with him, but... He's gone six plus innings in each out of his last two starts, one of them being against the Diamondbacks. And against the Diamondbacks this season, he has went a combined 10 innings, giving up five runs, four of which have been earned. So the Diamondbacks have been able to get to him a little bit. Now, when it comes to this Arizona team, certainly has a bunch that has not been able to get it going with regards batting average air dead last in the National League with that regard. But you do have a little bit of power with regards to this lineup. Dalton Varshow, Christian Walker, he combined 20 home runs this season. And all of a sudden, some of the top guys, they're starting to get on base a little bit more. Marshall hitting a 270 going into Friday. Josh Roas is hitting a two eighty five. Ketel Marte wound up having a rough start to the season. He's hitting a two fifty. You've had Alec Thomas come up. He's been able to hit north of a two seventy-five. So these are redeeming qualities, and for the L.A. Dodgers, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, these top three guys in north of a 290, entering into Friday with Betts. Being the only guy in the starting lineup yesterday with more than five home runs, He's made been able to 12. The Dodgers have actually been down with regards to their overall power now. Will the Dodgers have a big advantage with is the bullpen. You've got Danny Hudson, Craig Kimbrell. These guys are able to lock it down late in games. Alex Vesia has been able to come in. He's got a 2.25 ERA. Phil Bickford hasn't been quite what he was last season, but still relatively reliable. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Mark Johnson has been flat out terrible for the team. Caleb Smith is a long guy that you don't want any part of, but Noah Ramirez has been able to post up right around a 3.20 ERA. Joe Manette has honestly been one of the most underrated bullpen pitchers in the big leagues this season. A 051 ERA in 21 appearances, so he has been magnificent for the Diamondbacks. I do take a look at the Diamondbacks and they should be an underdog in this spot, but getting north of a plus 150, we've went up a little bit too lofty. I feel like the Dodgers being a little bit overinflated just based on the name brand alone, so I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on Arizona. Kelly and Gosselin have both been relatively solid this year, so I did wind up saying my total at an 8.3 as well. We have seen Arizona have right around two thirds of their home games go under the total this year, and I think that that trend is going to continue. So, looking at the under and Looking at the Snakes, 9-11, 9-12 on the bang board. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to be in the road. They're going to be facing up against the New York Mets. Tywon Walker is going to be going for the Mets. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin-awful for the Philadelphia Affiliates as Walker and Company find themselves anywhere between a minus 119 and a minus 130. Meanwhile, for the Affiliates, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 109 and plus 115 with your total at an 8.5. With the over, you're finding it anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is between even and minus 110. I know that Chris is liking the New York Mets in the spot, and I'm in agreement with him. I wound up saying the Mets at a minus 133, so seeing mostly minus 120, even a few minus 125. I'm going to be one to lay here with Taiwan Walker and company. And the big reason why I do like the Mets in this spot is because Walker has been so much better in the city of New York rather than on the road ever since he wound up getting to the Mets organization. Thus far the season, Walker, 270 ERA, 30 total innings between home and road starts. He's given up just two home runs and done a good job of being able to limit the walks. Right around 2.7 walks per 9 innings. That'll certainly fly with his stuff. And you take a look at Walker, has been very equal home to road this season. As a matter of fact, he 270 ERA in both environments, so I find that to be a little bit funny. But you go back to last season, 346 home ERA, 582 road ERA. is a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher, so City Field very much in favor of him. And then you take a look at Zach Eflin and he has not been Eflin awful for this team. Two earned runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. So he's had a couple unearned runs not go his way because guys like Alec Boehm out there in the field are bad. And that is something that you have to take into account with regards to Philadelphia Phillies. It's not like it's going to cause a quantum move, but this is not a team that does a terrific job with regards guards fielding. And for Eflin, home and road splits are very big. Buck 57 on Mure, 707 Rodieri. Now it is a little bit of a small sample size with regards to this year. You go back to 2021 and last Last year he wound up having a five hundred twelve road ERA, and a 302 home ERA. So it's been proven out the last few seasons that he just has not been the same at home. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they to be using pretty much a bullpen game yesterday with Bailey Folter. And Folter wound up getting destroyed in the first inning. Couldn't deliver a lot of length. So this is a very tired bullpen that doesn't necessarily have great arms to begin with. In the bottom eight, with regards to bullpen ERA, Sir Anthony Dominguez. Take a look at him, and he's actually been able to do a solid job along the right hand when he's been given innings. But some of these guys, like James Norwood and company are guys that you can't necessarily trust in, so that is something to take into account. And for the New York Metropolitans, it has been a case in which... You could use a little bit more out of Seth Lugo and Adam Bonavino. He's been a little bit all over the place this season, but like what I've seen out of Drew Smith, a sub-2 ERA, Jason Treif Needs to pick it up a little bit more, so the Mets bullpen does mind up leaving a little bit of something to be desired, but you do take a look at this offense as well. They've really embraced small ball ever since Buck Showalter, who I found out is 66 years old. I thought they was like 10 years older, but that's beside the point. They've been able to do a great job of just being able to find ways on. Starling Marte, Pete Alonzo, both of these guys, in between about at 272, to a 280. They've now got J.D. Davis. Back at the full, Brandon Nimmo is right around a 385 on base. Francisco Lindor set his ups and his downs but right around a 340 on base for him and for the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a team that's able to match. I mentioned Bowman the fact that he's got errors but at the same time, he is hitting right around a 285 for this team. Nick Cassianos hitting a little bit above a 250. You've got to figure that J.T. Riomito is going to be back out there. Odubo Rare has been able to hit a 265. Bryce Harper above a 300. Double digit amount of homers for him. You have had Kyle Schwarber struggle with the guards batting average but be able to give the team 10 home runs, but I do think that Walker going to do a good job of be able to keep the ball in the yard. And Zach Eflin, I think that he's going to be a little bit better on the road. Certainly a guy that doesn't wind up giving up a lot of walks, a little bit over two walks per nine innings. But that said, I think that the Mets are going to be able to take him enough to be able to get the job done. Set the Mets out of minus one thirty three, so one delayed here. Set so my total at an eight point two as well. A little bit more of a pitcher friendly ballpark out there in New York, so I'm going under and I'm going with the Mets 913-914 on the betting board. You've got the Slam Diego Padres playing O C Pittsburgh Pirates. J.T. Brubaker is going to be going for the Buckos, and Joe Musgrove is going to be on the bump for the Pods. Padres are finding themselves one of the biggest favorites on the board. As a matter of fact, I believe they are the biggest favorite at anywhere between minus 210 and minus 230. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Pittsburgh, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 175 and seeing a size, a plus plus two o eight seven is your total over and under. Both are at minus 110, and... With the Padres on the money line, I set them at a minus 230, but where I'm really looking is a run line. Right now, you're finding that, hey, we're between even money and minus 105. That bears out with regards to the low total, but I'm willing to think the Pottery's on the run line despite this low total, and I do like this total under. I said the Pirates team total with regards to my personal handicap at 2.8 because Joe Musgrove has just been mowing him down this season. Home, road, it doesn't matter. This guy has been magnificent. He has won at least 6 innings in every one of his 8 starts this year. The only pitcher in the big leagues that is able to say that he has given up 2 earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts this year as well. This is an old team in Pittsburgh, so it is a case in which I do think that there's going to be a lot of motivation to be able to stick it to the team that wound up giving up on him a few seasons ago and then for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's been a case in which J.T. Brubaker has been absolutely terrible on the road. He's right now got a 540 ERA with regards to the road this season, but go back to 2021, an even bigger sample size. 379 OMIRA last season, 6.78 6.78 road ERA. He wound up giving up last season 18 home runs in 65 innings. Thus far as the season, hasn't given up as much of the deep ball, but still giving up three home runs in 21 and two thirds innings. His walks per nine rate on the road that hovers right around about a 4.7. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is just not necessarily a lineup that you want to be relying too much upon. As you take a look at what they want trotting out there. For Friday, and you've got yourself a couple guys like Ajax Wisniewski. You wound up having to throw out there a catcher, Tyler Heineman. and it's he and Michael who are both hitting below the middles. line of a 200. Josh Van Meter has not been great. Yoshi Satsugo, whenever he's gotten at bats, has been far from terrific. And probably Reynolds with a 300 last year. He's hitting right now a 216. And in the starting lineup, he did not have a single Pirate. With more than 5 home runs thus far this season, meanwhile for the Padres, it is a little bit top-heavy right now. Manny Machado, Eric Cosmer, both hitting above a three twenty five, and nobody else in the starting lineup. For yesterday, hitting above a two thirty nine. and as a matter of fact, the guy hitting a two thirty nine would be Jose Azul Carr, who's been able to do a solid job out there in the outfield for this team. You've been able to get a little bit more out of Will Myers, but he's been a little bit tough to go. And for the Padres, what has been a little bit concerning for this team has been the fact that it is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in San Diego, and they just have not been able to hit as well at home going into Friday. As a team, they're hitting just a 217, so that is a little bit of an issue. Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer are both hitting a 360 or greater at home, and literally nobody else who has gotten in at bat hitting above a 240. so that is a little bit of an issue, but you take a at the Padres and they've got the Pirates outgunned with regards to bullpen as well, Taylor Rogers has been locked down as a closer. Really, the only guy that's been better this year has been Josh Hader. Now, Chrisman is able to give you multiple innings. You've been able to have some better innings recently out of Robert Suarez after a rough start to the season. He's been able to pick it up And for the Pirates. All but two out of their wins going into Friday have actually come out of the bullpen, but it's not like this bullpen has been too terrific. Keith along with Chris Straton, Both of these guys have a 4.50 plus ERA. J.C. Young is a long guy. He's actually been halfway solid. And then you take a look at David Bernard. He's been good, but Anthony Ponder and now rocking a five-ish ERA. So that's a little bit of an issue. I think that Joe Musgrove is going to go out there, going to completely dominate a Brubaker, as he's been doing on the road throughout his career going to give up a little bit of our contact. The Potteries do have a little bit of issue hitting at home so I am actually going to be taking a look at this total under. I wound up setting it at a 6.8 but I think that Musgrove just going to wipe out the Pirates looking at the run line of right around even money to minus 105 in this spot and I am going to be taking a look at this total under as we wind up going to our double header here. 915, 916 and 925, 926 on the bang board. You've got yourself the Baltimore Orioles. They're going to be in the red face off against the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox have announced both of their serves as Nathan of. Eval- is going to be going to game one. And in game number two for the Red Sox, we are going to be getting Josh Winkowski. Meanwhile, in game one, it appears as though it's going to be Jordan Lyles for the Baltimore Orioles. Now in game two, that is the big question mark. I was thinking it was going to be Grayson Rodriguez. Rodriguez is still stuck in the minor league so he is not going to be going. You got to figure that it's probably going to be either a young guy or Keegan Aiken though. So these two games are both off the board. The first one is a little bit easier with knowing that we're most likely going to get Lyles versus Nathan Eovaldi. And this is a spot in which I wound up saying the Reds sucks as a minus 214 favorite. I had to adjust my totals a little bit after what we wound up seeing yesterday. I want to make my total 9.6, so a 9.5 or less. Going to be taking a look at an over and a 10 or higher. I'd be taking a look at an under. And when it comes to game two, I am actually willing to... Go with pretty much the same thing. I'd be willing to make a 9.5 or less and over a 10 or higher to the under. We're going to get into that in a few minutes as well. But got the totals relatively the same in game one as opposed to game two. But you do take a look at what you're able to get out of Jordan Lyles. And he's been a little bit better this year. Last year, he wanted to leading the league in home runs surrendered with 38 of them. That was 1.9 home runs per 9 innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do this year, and he's been able to shape up a little bit, but I still don't necessarily have a lot of faith in him going up against the Boston Red Sox team. They're just ripping the cover off the ball. They've now scored 4-plus runs in 10 out of their last 11 games, and with regards to Red Sox, if you're looking a little bit more recently, this is a bunch that they have now been able to score at least 6 runs in 6 out of their last 7 games. For Lyles, he's currently posting up a 4 let ERA. give it up right around 1.3 ish show runs per 9 innings, walks per 9 rate, right around at 2.9-ish, and you take a look at what he's been able to do on the the road thus far this season, it has been a little bit teeter totter ish. A six ERA on the road in five starts, and he's given up all seven of his home runs on the road. And then you do take a look at Nathan Ivaldi, and he has been getting tagged for home runs as well. He wanted giving up the five home runs in an inning to the Houston Astros, and that has just thrown his numbers way out of whack. He has given up 15 home runs in 48 and a third innings this season. Last year, he wanted giving up about a half home run per nine innings. He wanted giving up six home runs in over 120 innings and in Fenway. So you got to figure that he's going to be a little bit better in this spot but certainly is a little bit of a concern but I mentioned this Red Sox lineup and I mean the three that they've got in the middle are the best three perhaps in all baseball JD Martinez Rafael Devers Xander Bogarts all these guys are hitting above a 320 right now they have been just ripping the cover off the ball Rafael Devers had 38 home runs last season he's already got a double digit amount of bombs this season Kike Hernandez he's went deep twice in a leadoff spot the last few days and you were seeing a big gap Between these three and the rest of the lineup, now you've got other guys coming along for the ride. Christian Vasquez is heading right around 275. Trevor Story, what more could be said about this gentleman? You take a look at him over the last eight days. He's been able to supply 14 RBI, four home runs. So he's starting to bust out of that funk as well. So it's very good to see him for the Baltimore Orioles. After they wound up playing each other first 12 games, either to the under or as a push, they've been able to get a little bit more offense as well. Trey Boom, Mancini, along the Austin says kid. They're both hitting above a 275. Ryan Mountcastle, he's hitting right around 255. Power is starting to go a little bit more with this Baltimore Orioles team, and Cedric Mullins has been a little bit up and down this season, but they bring in Adley Rushman. He and Mullins both hitting right around 240, and for the Orioles, the big thing here is that the bullpen has actually been very solid for them this season. They ranked at the top 10 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA entering into yesterday, but you got five outs out of Kyle Bradish yesterday, and that's really going to be putting them behind the eight ball, especially for game two. So, you know, Perez is not going to be able to keep up his someone ERA that you wound up having going into the weekend. You got to figure that Keegan Aiken is probably going to be throwing a lot of innings this weekend. Going into Friday, he had won 29 and a third innings in 12 total appearances with a buck 29 ERA. Once again, that is going to be going northward as well. Felix Matisse is someone I do like, but how much abuse is this Orioles bullpen going to be willing to take? That is a big giant question, and that leads into 925-926 with Winkowski certainly going for the Red Sox to be determined for the Orioles. You got to figure that it's probably going to be someone like a Denny Reyes at this point. I've got him projected out. He has seen a little bit of a cup of coffee up there at the big league bubble but certainly not a guy with a lot of experience so you do have to go back to his minor league stats because it's hard to make a lot out of pitching a grand total of two innings at the major league bubble but at the minor leagues this season he's posted up at 638 ERA and he is currently on the taxi squad which is why I do think that we will wind up seeing Reyes if we don't wind up seeing him we're going to go back to Keegan Aiken he's probably going to be a guy that winds up seeing quite a few innings there. What I will say about Mr. Reyes is that he is giving up fewer than two walks per nine innings. You go back to his 2021 minor league numbers, and while he was up there in AA Portland, he did wind up doing a relatively solid job to be able to hold down the 410 strikeouts to so 1.6 walks per nine innings. Wound up having more of a 420 RA. He does wind up giving up quite a bit of contact, but does a solid job of not giving up a lot of walks. And then you take a look at Winkowski. This is going to be his first career appearance for the Boston Red Sox, and he is not backed up by necessarily the World greatest bullpen as you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Ryan Brazier and Matt Barnes both of these guys have north the five ERAs I will say Austin Davis wanted getting a start a little bit earlier this season he's been solid got to figure that we might see a little bit of Tanner Houck as well has been now utilized as a little bit of a long guy but with Winkowski at the minor league level this year he has been very solid for this team 9.7 strikeouts per nine innings Fewer than two walks per night, posting up a 313 ERA out there in the Independent League with Wisher during the 2021 season between, I will call it, double A and triple A. He wound up having a little bit of a higher ERA, but still. Command was there, 2.7 walks per nine innings, swing and miss stuff. It's been a little bit better this year as he only was able to get right around eight strikeouts per nine innings. But I do like his overall upside. I just think that with hitters not necessarily knowing what's going to be coming at them and both the pitchers in game one being guys are just giving up bombs left and right. You've got to set your total a little bit higher with that regard. I do think that's sort of the unknown factor actually does play into the advantage a little bit more with both of the guys that are going to be going in the Orioles and Red Sox game in game two. So I do think that that's something that's really interesting to look at. So for the double letter with Eovaldi versus Lyles, which figures to be game one, set the Red Sox minus 120 on the run line. Once again, nine and a half or less to the over 10 or higher to the under that is going to apply for both totals in both of these games. And then, if we wind up getting Winkowski versus Reyes, slash a bullpen game for the Orioles, wind up setting the Red Sox minus 170 on the money line, plus 113, laying a run and a half on the run line as well. A little bit of subject to change if Reyes does not wind up starting, but that's what I'm taking a look at there. 917, 918 on the main board. The Minnesota Twins going to be in the red faceoff against the Kansas City Royals. Brady Singer is going to be going for the Royals, and Chris Archer is going to be on the bump. For the Twinkies, the Twins are finding themselves as a relatively sizable favorite here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 148 and a minus 156. Meanwhile, with Kansas City, it's anywhere between plus 130 and plus 145 with your total on this game, 9. The under is minus 120, and the over is even. And when it comes to the Twins, I've been setting their totals quite low because... Ballpark is very pitcher-friendly. It's starting to eat up a little bit more out there in Minnesota, but they've been doing a solid job to the under, especially with having a top-10 bullpen in terms of ERA, so I did wind up saying the Soda at 7.7. 7, I'm looking under. And with the Royals, I would need a plus 152 to be able to take a shot here. We have been seeing the number going up a little bit more, but with that said, with the Twins, as long as we can keep this right around that minus 150 to minus 152 number, because I did wind up saying my number out of 152, to be one to take a shot there. If you're looking at the run line of the Twins, right now, finding it at a plus 125 in a lot of spots, I would need at least a plus 130 to be able to take shots, so even though it's a little bit juicy, I would be taking a look at the money line rather than the run line of the Minnesota Twins, just because I do think that it's going to be a lower scoring game, and big thing with Chris Archer is that you do have to be handicapping the bullpen in this game, even if you're looking at a first five. Chris Archer has went between three and four innings in all eight of his starts this season. Wound up going through thoracic outlook syndrome, things like that, so he has been very limited with regards to his innings pitch, and for the Minnesota Twins, you have to love what you want him saying towards the beginning of the game against the Kansas City Royals. Yesterday, as they were able to bust out with the bats, Byron Buxton, since he returned to the lineup, just as not been himself. He's actually hitting right around 200 right now. And it's been the other guys for the Minnesota Twins that are right now supplying the boom. And Buxton wound up getting the day off yesterday as well. So you have to wonder if he's even going to play in this game, but... Nick Gordon, along with Orde Palanco, Max kepler all these guys, in between about a 237 to a 250, but you've been able to get a little bit of pop out of Polanco, wound up going DPSJ Carlos Correa. He's now back off the injured list. He and Max Kepler both right around at 350 on base, but it's been Luis Arias who has really been a table setter for this team. Hitting a 352 with regards to his batting average of 450 on base. That is tremendous. You've got Trevor Larnish back as well. He's hitting just below a 300 And for the Kansas City Royals. It's been very good to see field be able to pick it up. Take a look at what he was doing in the last 15 days prior to yesterday, hitting at 313, and as a matter of fact, over the last seven days, hitting more like a 375. But still, overall for the year, he's hitting at 220. Carlos Santana might be the most useless position player out there in the big leagues right now, and that's a big debate among the Royals because you got Nikki Lopez along with Ryan O'Hearn, both hitting right around 200. Bobby Witt Jr. is not at a good rookie season, hitting about a 230. Hunter Dozier is hitting at 265, and I will say, MJ Melendez is coming at the catcher spot. He's hitting right around a two fifty three home runs over the course of sixty one or so at bats going into yesterday. He's actually done a good job of holding down the fourth for Salvador Perez, who's been having a little bit of struggle and Speaking of struggles, how about this Royals bullpen, which is currently dead last in the American League with regards to ERA. It has been a rough season for quite a few guys. Scott Barlow has done his job. He's been posting up right around a buck 70 ERA. Colin Snyder, though, has had his ups and downs. Gabe Spear has been able to give you a couple solid innings, but Josh Shama, someone who I thought could really come through as a closer, he's got an earth of a four ERA. Taylor Clark as a long guy has been terrible, and for the Twins, right now I got Joe Smith having a sub-one ERA, Emilio Pagan gives up a little bit too much hard contact, but he's got right around a 230 ERA. The Duff man, Tyler Duffy has not been able to deliver, but Yohan Duran has been able to. I do think that the Twins probably going to throw out their archer for right around four innings. Bullpen is going to be able to go to work from there against a Royals team that they're towards the bottom of the league with regards to being able to get hard contact and being able to go deep, so this is the spot in which I did wind up setting the Royals at a plus 152, even though Brady Singer has been much better since getting called back up to the big leagues. I like what I saw from him at the minor league level in his last two starts. Has went seven strong innings, giving up zero runs against both the White Sox and the Twins. Now he went seven innings, gave up zero runs, and still the Royals wound up blowing the game in the regular nine innings, not even going to extras because the bullpen was just that sorry behind him. You take a look at Singer and he's actually been able to do a good job of being able to hold down the fort, especially with the yards of walks, which has always been a little bit of an issue for him. Four walks in 19 and two-thirds innings thus far this season. Last year, he had more like three and a half-ish walks per nine innings, so he's been able to really rein it in with that regard. I like what I'm seeing out of Singer, which is why I do like the under, but cannot trust in this Royals bullpen. So, looking at the Twins, most likely on the money line in this spot, and I'm looking at at an under. 919, 920 on the main board. The Walker, Texas Rangers. They're going to be in the road. They're going to be facing off against the Oakland A's as Zach Logue is going to be going for the A's. And Taylor Hearn is going to be on the bump for the Rangers. The Rangers are finding themselves as a very slight favorite in this spot. You're going to be finding them anywhere between about a minus 105 to a minus 115. Meanwhile, with the A's, it is anywhere between an even money price to a minus 115 with them, with 7.5 being your total. The over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And I think that this is a spot in which the A's are just not getting the credit that they are due. I did wind up saying them as a minus 120 in this spot. And a lot of it is that I just have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Taylor Hearn here. Taylor Hearn has been absolutely terrible for this team. He's got one of the highest whips among starting pitchers out there in the big leagues, and he's just giving up contact upon contact. He's right now giving up 10.5 hits per nine innings. He's allowed six home runs at 34 and a third innings, and his walks per nine rate is north of a a 4.5, 577 ERA. He just has not been able to perform well, both at home and on the road, and it gets much worse on the road. It's a small sample size, but 8 10 57 Road ERA this season. So that has been far from terrific. And then you take a look at Logan. This is not a guy that is going to be lighting the world on fire with regards to the radar gun or anything like that. But he's looked relatively solid here in his first few starts. Has given up five home runs 22 in 22 and a third innings. He is going to give up his contact. Has been given up right around four and a half bucks for nine innings. But still, he has been able to do a nice job being able to get a couple swings and misses, 20 punch outs in those 22 and a third innings, and a 318 home ERA. Now, you take a look at the Oakland A's, and this is a very grody lineup. You take a look at what they wanted trotting out there for Friday. You did not have a single guy with more than 45 at bats hitting above a 250. You have actually been able to get a little bit out of Luis Barrera, entering into yesterday a little bit over 40 at bats hitting a 325. And now you do wind up having Jed Lowry back the full. Chad Pinder has been dealing with some injuries. He's hitting at 248, so getting those guys back should help. And Ramon Laureano, he's not going to continue to a buck 73, but still Oakland A's dead last in the big leagues with regards to batting average. A team with just 30 home runs over the course of their first, I believe, 46 games. Of the season, so that's a little bit of an issue for the team. And then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Marcus Simeon is about as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop right now. He's hitting a buck 81 with zero home runs despite the contract they wound up signing. That is just absolutely terrible. And you take a look past that. You have not been able to get anything whatsoever out of guys like Andy Ibanez, Adolis Garcia, Eli White. You're able to throw in those guys hitting a 220 or lower. Not been great. Jonah Heim, Cole Calhoun, both of these guys in between a 260 to a 270. Corey Seager hitting just a 235, but has been able to give you eight home runs. And for both of these teams, bullpens have been very good for them. Brock Burke and Joe Barlow both have sub 2 ERAs. John King along with you're able to throw in there even Matt Moore, posting up sub 2 5 ERAs. Brett Martin has been a little bit up and down but Dennis Santana has been able to give you some good innings. and then you take a look at the Oakland A's and you've got a trio of guys Sam Mall, AJ Puck, and Danny Jimenez who all entered into Friday with sub 1 ERAs. They have just been wiping things out. Zach Jackson, He's been able to give you right around a 3-ish ERA. Domingo Acevedo has been able to give you some relatively solid innings as well. So I do think that we're going to see some actually solid pitching in this spot. But I think that with the starters, we are going to see this game wind up going over the total. I did wind up saying it at an 8.1. I do think that Logue is going to wind up giving up a little bit of hard contact. And Oakland winds up playing very much more hitter-friendly during the daytime rather than the nighttime. Nighttime, the marine layer is out. This is a one o seven p.m. Pacific time first pitch. So I do think that we're going to see a little bit of higher score. And I just have no faith in Taylor Hearn, who's given up like a billion hits right now. So this is a spot in which I am willing to take the Oakland A's. Set them as a minus 120, and with regards to the total, I'm taking a look at the over 921, 922 on the betting board. Like Cleveland Guardians, set the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Tristan McKenzie is going to be going for the Guardians, and Alex Fajardo is going to be on the bump for the Tigers. This was a situation which you wound up seeing a little bit of a Rooney with the game getting postponed, but not being made up until July with regards to a doubleheader. This is a game that Currently, we do not wind up having numbers on when it was supposed to be Elvin Rodriguez. We do have a little bit of a number with that regard. When it was supposed to be Elvin Rodriguez against Tristan McKenzie, we were seeing the Guardians right around a minus 140 to a minus 145-ish with the total at a seven half. Yeah, gotta figure that the Guardians aren't going to be quite that big of a favorite. Now with Fajardo going out there because... Elvin Rodriguez wound up just getting completely destroyed in his first career start, and Fayeto has actually proven to be a halfway decent starter. This is a spot in which, with Fayeto versus McKenzie, set the Tigers at a plus 117. I don't think that they're going to adjust this much, so I am probably going to be taking a look at the Tigers getting, like, I would think probably like a plus 120, plus 125, somewhere in that neighborhood. And that is if you don't wind up getting Shane Bieber as well, because Shane Bieber was supposed to go against Alex Fiedo yesterday. Fiedo is officially confirmed to be pitching on Saturday. Right now it's a debate as to whether or not it's going to be Tristan McKenzie or... Shane Bieber, and if it is Shane Bieber versus Alex Fajardo, well, I'm going to give you the same handicap that I wound up having yesterday, which I did wind up making Mr. Fajardo an underdog of right around a plus 148, and it would be a total in which I'd be taking a look at a 6.5 over and a 7 or higher to the under if you take a look at what wound up happening when it went off the board yesterday. You're finding it right in that neighborhood. you were finding the Cleveland Guardians right around a minus 147 to about a minus 150-ish. I was finding a straight minus 143 out there, so I was looking at the Cleveland Guardians if I could wind up getting that down just a little bit more because a little bit of money was coming in on the Detroit Tigers and I was taking a look at the 7-2 7.5 under, so that's where we're standing with that regard. Jane Bieber has seen a little bit of a fall off thus far this season, so if we do end up getting Bieber against Alex Vieto, it would be a spot in which I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 148 with the Guardians, and I do have a 30 cent difference between Bieber and Tris McKenzie. McKenzie has been able to do a much better job, of be able to rein it in with regards to the walks in, and, and if I would have had this last year, it would have been probably more like a 50 plus cent difference between Bieber and Tris McKenzie, because Bieber has had a little bit of a fall off. and you do take a look at Tris Mackenzie McKenzie. Swing and miss stuff is nothing overwhelming. Right around seven and a half is strikeout's per nine innings, and all four of his home runs have come on the road this season, but that's because out of his eight total pitching appearances, six have also come on the road, so that explains that sample size. If you take a look at the 2021 season, with regards to Tristan McKenzie, he did wind up having a road ERA that was actually better than his home ERA, so I think that that's something that is interesting to take a look at, but when it comes to the Cleveland Guardians as well, this has been a team that has been dealing with a couple of ailments. Stephen Kwan, he has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. He's been held out of the lineup the last few days. Frambo Reyes is on the injury list, although I don't know if that's necessarily a downgrade. We've just been seeing it with the Guardians in general, though, that the offense has really been running through Jose Ramirez. Ramirez has been absolutely magnificent, north of 40 RBI, double-digit amount of homers, but with the Guardians, they're starting to hit a wall a little bit when it comes to their offense as well. This is a team that they have scored three runs or fewer in four out of their last five games. Josh Naylor is back in the fold, and ever since he's went off the COVID IVL, I mean, overall for the season, he still has right around a 350 on base, but batting average is now back below a 300. Owen Miller Let's come back to earth. He's hitting a 270 to Miles straw. as we able to give you a 335 on base. One of the best base healers out there in the big leagues. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Detroit Tigers team. And it has been a ghastly bad offense. You do take a look at Miguel Cabrera being able to give you a 300. And that's going to be able to help you out. But I mean really past that. Javi Baez, Jameer, Kendall Lario, Robbie Grossman, Spencer Torkelson, Dez Cameron, all these guys are currently hitting a 2.10 or lower. So it is a big, giant issue when it comes to this team. Nobody has more than four home runs for this team. As a matter of fact, 44 games and 25 home runs overall for the Detroit Tigers. That is just absolutely terrible. They do play in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but what has been really a saving grace for the Detroit Tigers, despite the fact that they've got 10 home runs in 22 games at home this season, has been the bullpen. They are in the top five with regards to bullpen ERA. Michael Fulmer, Andrew Chaffin, both of these guys have been able to post up very good ERAs. Fulmer has been regressing a little bit more recently, but Alex Lang, sub-2 ERA. Even Peralta is a long guy. He's been able to give you a one ERA. Jacob Barnes has come in there. He's been a little bit less than trustworthy, but still you've got a Tigers team that they've been able to piecemeal things together. So if you're able to get those five innings out of Alex Fajardo, like he's been able to deliver in his first four starts, you've got a little bit of something there. I do think that with regards to the Guardians, if it is Shane Bieber, going to be right around a minus 148. That'd be one delay there with Tristan McKenzie more like a minus 117. And in both instances, six 6.5 or less looking at an over. I don't think we're going to get that. So at a 7 or higher, would we'll be taking a look at an under in this spot. 923, 924 on the bang board. New York Yankees going to be in the road They're going to be facing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Corey Kaluber is going to be going for the Rays and Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves in between minus 135 and minus 140. Meanwhile, with the Rays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 124 And plus 137 is your total over Zangy between minus 110 and minus 120. The under Zangy between even a minus 110. And when it comes to Tampa Bay Rays, I did wind up setting them at a plus 134 some. If we're able to get a couple pennies better, we'll be taking a look there. And right now with the New York Yankees, it's just gotten up like a little bit too lofty, though I will say they open up at a minus 145. We've seen about a 5 to a 10 cent move. If we could get down like literally one to two pennies on the New York Yankees, I would be willing to take a shot. I've had to adjust my pricing in recent months on Garrett Cole just ever since the sticky stuff crack down because he just has not necessarily been the same guy, but you do take a look at Garrett Cole and really, other than that last start against the Baltimore Orioles where he gave up five runs, wound it's still eating up eight innings. He has been doing a much better job of be able to hold down the fourth for this team. Had given up prior to that six runs over the course of I believe his last five starts, so he has been able to reign it in a little bit more and you know with Garrett Cole that the command is always going to be rock solid with him. He's been giving up right around two-ish walks per nine innings. He has been giving up right around one home run per nine innings, so those numbers have have still been a constant, not getting as many swings and misses, but still able would get a competent amount of swings and misses, right around 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. Trust me, a lot of guys would be taking that in for Corey Kluber. He's been getting right around 9 strikeouts per 9 innings. Big thing with Kluber is that he just had his one blow-up start against the LA Angels where he gave up 8 runs in 3 innings. If you take that out of the fold, he's got himself an ERA that's sub 2-5 And You take a look at what Corey Kluber has been able to do in Tampa Bay this season. 291 ERA over the course of his 4 starts, giving up just 5 walks in 21 two-thirds innings, and then with the Tampa Bay Rays as well. This is an offense that they can teeter-totter a little bit with the Yankees, despite the fact that John Carlos San is a little bit banged up and currently out of the fold. You still have yourself some masters in the seam as you got Anthony Rizzo, who's been able to deliver a double-digit amount of homers, Aaron Judge. He's got 17 right now, hitting above a three hundred now. Batting average is a little bit of an issue for this team other than Judge, the only guy hitting above a 250 for this team that wound up getting a start yesterday is I Iguicere Canera-Falefa. Joey Gallo has been a big giant bust for this team. Catcher spot, aside from Jose Trevino, has been a little bit rough as well. And then you do take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and you've got Wanda Franco, along with Yandy Diaz, Randy Orozarena, all these guys, and between a 260 and a 270, G-Man Choi is able to be thrown in that Mx as well. Manuel go he's got an earth of a 400 on base, but team has struggled a little bit with the deep ball. You've got Mike Zanino has only been able to deliver three home runs thus far this season. Brandon Lau has been a little bit banged up. He's had a little bit of a tough time there, but this is a Tampa Bay Rays bullpen that has been on fire. JP Fireisen, he has yet to give up an earned run thus far this season. Brooks Raley, Colin Pooch, both of these guys have sub-3 ERAs. You've had Ryan Thompson have his struggles, but he's starting to pick it up again, and for the Yankees, they are dealing with some ailments with regards to their bullpen. Chad Green, you to be undergoing Tommy John surgery. You've had Aroldis Chapman deal with an Achilles injury. Michael King has been starting to regress a little bit. Clay Holmes has been absolutely nasty. Going into Friday, a sub 50. ERA, that's just absolutely insane. Wadi Peralta right around 225 ERA. So this is a spot in which if I could get the Yankees below a minus 135, I'm going to be willing to take a shot for the race. I would need at least a plus 135 here. So we're going to see how early movement with regards to lines on Saturday winds are going. I anticipate this probably being the Yankees closing more on a minus 130. And if so, I'd be willing to take a shot there, but currently wait and see mode there. And I did wind up saying my total at 7.2. I think that 7 just a tad bit too low here with the way that Cole's been pitching ever since the 16 stuff self-breakdown. So, I am going to be taking a look at this total over, and I'm going to be most likely taking a look at the Yankees, but in a little bit of wait-and-see mode there. 925-926, that's Orioles versus Red Sox game two. We already covered that, so how about if we go 927-928 on the banging board, the Toronto Blue Jays at the road face-off gets the LA Angels. Michael Lorenzen is going to be going for the Halos, and Yusei Kikuchi is going to be on the bump for Toronto. Toronto is finding themselves in a relative pick game here, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Halos, Find them as good as a plus 101, as bad as a minus 105, with a nap being your total, the over and the under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And with the Blue Jays, wound up saying them at a plus 133 with Yusei Kikuchi. Big thing with him is the walks. I was talking about it with Chris that he has been able to do a much better job of being able to get swings and misses right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings as far this season. But also the big bugaboo when it comes to him has been the fact that he has been giving out nearly six walks per nine innings this year. That is why he has been really a little bit more limited now. You take a look at Kikuchi and recently he's been able to rein it and he has given up a combined five earned runs over the course of his last 4 starts but still, 3 plus walks and 4 out of his last 5 starts, that is going to prevent him from necessarily going deep in this game and you just can't make mistakes with a lineup like the LA Angels. They have been dealing with a little bit of an ailment to Taylor Ward that winds hurting them, but he wound up returning to the lineup yesterday. You are having Shoya Otani dealing with a couple of injuries as well he did not wind up playing yesterday so that is something that you want to know. You're probably going to get one out of those two, but you've got Luis Ranifo along with Brandon Marsh both hitting at least a two eighty for the team. Mike Trout, Home runs. He's sitting above a three-iron. That has been terrific for this team. Walsh and Ward both have nine home runs. And for Taylor Ward entering into Friday, right around a 480 on base. But you got to figure that the Blue Jays are going to be able to pick it up with the bats as well. George Springer, or Jr., both nine home runs entering into Friday. Springer, along Santiago Speno, both hitting right around 280, Guerrero Jr., right around 265. you got to figure that that is going to improve. Dasker Hernandez is not going to continue to buck 52 for forever. Cavan Biggio is literally 1 of 26 entering into Friday. I question how much he's going to be able to pick that up. Certainly not going to go 1 of 26 the rest of the season, though, and for the Blue Jays and the Angels, both of these teams a little bit below average with regards to bullpen. I actually like Jordan Romano as a closer for the Blue Jays, but Eni Garcia has not necessarily been too terrific for this team, posting up right around 8 3.7 ERA. David Phelps can be a little bit up and down. Has had a little bit of a better season, but now they're utilizing Ross. Stripling out of the bullpen, that has not been terrific, and Ryan Tepera has had a little bit of a rough start to the season for the Angels, but he's still a guy that's able to give you some good innings. Razio Iglesias is one of the better closers that you're going to find in the big leagues. Jimmy Hergett is someone that's able to give you multiple innings, right around a 3-ish ERA along with Aaron And I do take a look at Michael Lorenzen, and I think that he's going to be able to end a good start here. Has been a little bit lucky this season. He has been, though, being able to rein it in with regards to the walks. Right around 2.7 walks per nine innings. He has given up a combined one run in his last two starts now. Both of those wound up coming against the Oakland A's. So I take that a little bit more with a grain of salt. But here with Lorenzen at home, four starts, 238 ERA, giving up three home runs at 22 and two-thirds innings. But when just a just 67 off of him, I like the way that he's rolling. And I think that Kikuchi's watch problems are going to be manifesting themselves here. Semi-total at an 8.2. I do think that this total is a tad bit too high because I do think that both of these starters are still going to be able to do a relatively solid job. And this is a night game out there in Los Angeles. Ball winds up dying a little bit more in the air. So looking at the under and, looking at the Angels. 929-930 on the bang where the Seattle Mariners are going to be playing on the Houston Astros. Jose Arakidi is going to be going for the Astros and Logan Gilbert is going to be going for the Mariners. The Mariners are finding themselves as an underdog here. You're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 108 and a plus 113. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Houston, it's anywhere between minus 119 and minus 130 with your total 7 half. under anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 and the overs anywhere between even a minus 110 and when it comes to Seattle, I do mind saying that as a minus 115 favorite. I think that Logan Gilbert is just unequivocally the better pitcher than Jose Artikidi and with Artikidi, what he does a good job of is not issuing walks. Thus far this season, he's giving up right around 1.2 walks per nine innings. He has been terrific, but his strikeouts per nine rate, that's more around about a 6.6 to a 6.7, so he also doesn't wind up getting a lot of of swings and misses. The ballpark out there in Houston has been perfect for him as he wound up getting a buck 47 ERA thus far at home this season in his restart, 655 road ERA. And I will say, with Erdekiti in his last start, he did wind up getting 10 strikeouts. That was a very good sign for him, but Logan Gilbert, even though he has been getting tagged for a few more runs recently, three-plus runs given up in each out of his last four starts, has been and giving you a ERA of a 250 overall for this season. It's given it up less than a home run per nine innings. Walks can be a little bit of an issue, right around 3.3 ish walks per nine, and has actually been worse at home throughout his career than on the road. Road ERA is about a half a point better than his home ERA for his career, so that's a little bit interesting, but you do take a look at this. Mariners team may have been able to do a good job of being able to get on base a little bit more with Julio Rodriguez doing a terrific job. Currently leads the league with 13 solo bases. He's hitting right around 270. Ty France, 31 RBI. He's hitting at 330. Adam Frazier at the top is hitting above at 250. J.P. Crawford hitting at 300 as well, and now you've got Kyle Lewis back in full. Rookie of the year And in 2,020. Not necessarily a ton of pop in the bat. That's something that the Mariners are lacking with guys not named Eugenio Suarez, who's been able to give you nine home runs, but you've got guys that are officially able to get on base for the Mariners after they were one of the worst teams with regards to batting average last season. That's good. And then you've got the Astros' death lineup, which is just absolutely insane. Jordan Alvarez, right around 3.50 on base, 12 home runs. Ozil Tuve, he's been deep nine times this season. He's hitting right around 290. You've got Michael Brantley hitting about a 280. You've had Yoli Gurriel starting to pick it up as well. Kyle Tucker He's got eight home runs and he's got nine stolen bases as well. That's a little bit of an underrated aspect of his game. Jeremy Pena has been just below three hundred as well. And for the Astros, to the surprise of many, top bullpen ERA in the big leagues entering into Friday. Now, I do think that you're going to see quite a bit of regression when it comes to this. I mean, you just can't wind up having Rafael Montero continue to post up a 048 ERA for forever. You've had some very good performances out of guys like Hector naris who's got a two twenty ERA. Ryan Stanek, right around a buck thirteen. Brian Abreu. Who's to pick it up as well. Now you've got Ryan Presley back in the fold as well. And for the Seattle Mariners, we've seen quite a bit of regression with regards to this bullpen. I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit more, though. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Diego Castillo, right around an 8 ERA, but Pen Murphy along with Sergio Romo, both of these guys posting up a sub-130 ERA. Paul Sewell has been able to give you right around a 3-ish ERA, but guys like Anthony Bachevich, your second rider, you got to figure that they're going to be able to do a little bit better. So this is a situation in which I did wind up saying the total at a 7.8 with regards the nighttime out there in Seattle as well. Ball winds up dying a little bit more, but I do think that Urikidi is going to give up a little bit more contact. I think Gilbert has been regressing a little bit more, but I do think that Gilbert is going to do a good job of being able to keep this thing out in front of them. Mariners, top five team with regards to win percentage of one our games the last two years as well. So I'm looking at the Mariners, and I'm going to be taking a look at this little over, and we wrap things up with 931, 932 on the banking board. Battle for Chicago as the White Sox going to be playing those to the Cubs. Keegan Thompson is going to be going for the Cubs. Johnny Cueto is on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox find themselves any between, I'm seeing at DraftKings of minus one fifty five. Everyone else has anywhere between a minus one thirty five and a minus one forty two. Meanwhile. On the Cubs, it's between plus 126 and plus 135. Eight and a half is here total. Over Zang, we between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is any we're between even a minus 105. Won't lay up to about a minus 155 here with the White Sox. With Johnny Cueto, I like what I've seen out of his first few starts. Didn't wind up doing a ton out there at the minor league level, but those were just really ramp up starts for him. And even while I was with the San Francisco Giants last year, this was a guy that was rock solid and didn't really allow a lot of walks. You know that he's going to be able to have some good command, swing and miss stuff down from what he was able to have throughout the beginning part of his career, but still a guy that's able to induce some relatively soft contact. Four walks at 12 innings as far as the season and He does have 12 punch outs and 12 innings. I think that there's going to be a little bit of regression there, but so has been rock solid. And for Keegan Thompson, this guy has been absolutely amazing for the Cubs as a starter slash a long reliever. This is someone posting up a buck 54 ERA. The strikeouts, they're not necessarily overly rambunctious. Right around eight strikeouts per nine innings. His walks per nine rate, that is hovering right around a 250-ish. And this is someone that has seen a little bit of regression on the road, 261 road ERA, 209 home ERA, but he's been terrific, but all of a sudden the Cubs bullpen, it is starting to fail them, which you? figured it was going to start to You take a look at it, and it's still in the top five with regards to the National League in terms of ERA, but now you've seen quite a few guys like a Rowan Wick now posting a north of 250 ERA. Scott Efras has been getting banged around a little bit more recently. Chris Martin now has a four ERA. Michael Rucker was never necessarily too terrific, and he's a little bit banged up for this team, but someone like Daniel Norris, not someone that you want to be trusting in too much, so this is starting to be an issue for the Cubs, and when it comes to the Cubs as well, this is a lineup in which it's a little bit at or miss. Patrick Wisdom has been able to give you 10 home runs, and he's been able to do a nice job with regards to Powerball, but also, this is someone that is striking out in over 43% of his at-bats. You need to have a little bit more consistency there. You got a couple guys that have been able to do a nice job, be able to get on base. C.A. Suzuki is someone with a north of a 345 on base. Wilson Contreras has been a little bit banged up, but when he's been out there, he's been able to post up a nearly 400 on base along with Ian Happ, so these guys have been able to do a solid job there, but Frank Schwindel is hitting a 225 along with Alfonso Rivas. We've seen a little bit Progression there, and when it comes to the White Sox, certainly having Eloy Jimenez out of the fold as her thumb, but Tim Anderson, he's hitting at 363. He has been tremendous Luis Robert hitting a 285. He's been able to go deep six times. You need a little bit more power, he went deep just 39 times in 44 games thus far this season. And with Keegan Thompson, big thing is that he is a right handed pitcher because the White Sox have been absolutely mashing lefties against right handed pitching. It's been a little bit more suspect hitting right around 228 in total against right handed pitching, but you've had a few games guys be able to do a solid job. I'll be able to get on base for this team. You've been able to get a little bit more. of Jake Berger who wound up going yard a few days ago. Andrew Vaughn against right-handed pitching right around at 350 on base as well. A.J. Pollock is starting to pick it up as well. He's been a little bit up and down this season but after a rough start to the season he's been able to get on base a little bit more as well. So I do think that the White Sox with having their bullpen really starting to rate it in with Kendall Graveman, Liam Hendricks being relatively solid 8th and ninth inning guys being able to get some good innings out of someone like a Matt Foster who's posting up a sub-270 ERA as well, even with having all the injuries that they've been able to incur. They should be able to get the job done behind the veteran in Johnny Cueto, Will to lay up to a minus 155 with regards to the White Sox money line. Don't really want a part of the run line right now, finding that at a plus 145, but I see nearly as big of an advantage on the money line as the run line. I'm going to play it safe here. They wind up saying my total at an 8.1 as well. Cubs averaging right around 0.8 runs per game, fewer on the road than at home. So looking at an under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the White Sox. And that will wrap things up for the Saturday edition of the baseball betting show now part of the v family a podcast Big thanks to Chris Sheehan for joining me in the last segment. Doing a great job over there at the Monumental Sports Network, and if you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Junet underscore D one. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to or whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.